0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Have you ever met a really competitive person? Or are you that really competitive person? You know, the one in the crowd that everyone's always like, oh, there he goes again. He's competing again. Well, I'll be honest. I'm that competitive person. In fact, I think I'm the most competitive person that I know. I'm so competitive that I'm the kind of guy that when I play basketball, with my daughter, she's 13, she goes for the layup, you know some dad's like, get the layup, you're my little girl. Uh-uh, I go for the block every time, every single time I'm putting it down, because if you're gonna get a bucket on me, you're gonna earn it. I'm the kind of guy that when I'm wrestling my 19 month old son, he's a sweet little guy, he's a baby. He rolls around, daddy, goo goo guy, but you know what, when he tries to get me, boom, you're going down, little man. I pin him every time, I get the three count, because I'm that competitive. In fact, if I see you out, and you're at a table over here, I'm at a table over here, and you're drinking water, and I'm drinking water. You don't know it, but I'm trying to finish that water before you because that's how competitive I am. But truth be told, I think we're all super competitive. We all like a challenge to some degree. I know this to be true because we all set goals. And when you set a goal, you say, here's the goal, you face challenges along the way to attain that goal, and you call that a win. Then you set another goal. You face challenges along the way to attain that goal. You call it a win. And we call that achieving in society, and we celebrate that. I think to some degree that's why we actually like professional athletes, because we see that they excel in the challenges in the area. And on some level, we can relate and celebrate that win. And though we all might face different challenges, there's some that I believe are universal to all of us. There's some that you'll encounter whether you're young, you're old, it does not matter. Believer, non-believer, you will encounter certain challenges. And the ones that we encounter that no one knows about, that no one sees, are the toughest ones to deal with, and they fall under the category of hidden. These hidden challenges that no one will ever see, so no one will ever tell you, hey, how's that going? Hey, how are you working on this thing? Because no one ever sees it but you, so it's always you trying to deal with it on your own. The particular one that I want to pin, put a, drop a pin on today is unforgiveness. I want to talk about this 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 concept of the faith to forgive. Like, what do you do when someone's insulted you, when someone's hurt you, when someone's done something to violate you, and now your belief system comes up against unforgiveness? And it always starts with bitterness creeps in. It starts to seep into your heart, and then unforgiveness starts to take root. The question is, what do we do when we have to address it now? How do we handle this thing that can plague us? So long, for so many years, and now we have to confront this thing. You see, unforgiveness for me reminds me of like a, a forever grudge. You've had a grudge against somebody? They come in the room, you feel kind of weird when their name's brought up. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure about that guy. Or, or the closer you get to them, it's like the hairs on your back stand up. You ever seen a cat when he gets ready to attack or is nervous? It just transforms on you. You get something similar to that happens to you every time this person is around you. Now imagine that feeling for your entire life, like every day living on the edge to that degree because there's someone or something or some situation that has hurt you and now you're holding on to it and it's taken root in your heart. And there are many things that can cause offense or hurt or unforgiveness. But if I were to sum it up, I say unforgiveness is two things. Is it the hurt caused by you or hurt caused to you. And if we're being completely honest, we've all been on the side of the offender, whether it was intentional or unintentional, we've all done something to hurt someone else. But I don't so much want to uh, focus on the offender as much as the one who was offended, because I do believe anyone who hurts someone else has been hurt before. I don't believe, unless there's a genuine mental condition or illness, people don't want to hurt people. But I do know hurt people will always hurt people. And I want to focus on the hurt that can dwell deep within all of us. Because if we can address the hurt, we can take the pressure off. And I say take the pressure off because you ever notice you have to take offense? You take the offense. No one gives you, you're like, I'm taking offense to this thing. I've now laid hold of it. And when you take the offense, you put the pressure on you. The Bible says to put on Christ, but you can put on anything. You can put on offense. When you put offense on, you put the pressure on for you to get it right for you to fix the situation. And now you're telling yourself, I have to make this right, whether through my actions or my emotions, either I will do something to you, or I will build up enough hate towards you. Either of those things cause you to carry on internal chaos that you were not designed to carry. And the struggle, if we're honest, a lot of times when it comes to offenses, the struggle is, it comes from those close to you. You know, if it was Joe Schmo, It might not bother you so much, but it's usually a person that's in your life. It's usually somebody, not always, but usually the offense is because I cared for you and you did me wrong. In fact, the psalmist says it like this. He says this, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God, as we walked about among the worshipers. A lot of times, it comes from someone so dear to you. But it can also come through many other ways. You know, we live in a very sensitive society. If I disagree with you now, I've offended you. If I write a comment on Facebook you don't like, I've offended you. We're no longer friends. Or it can be a little more serious sometimes. You know, people will fly out the handle and say things that hurt so deep. And you're wondering, how could you do that to me? You know, the Bible tells us life and death is in the tongue, and often we go around just cutting people up, not realizing the damage that we're doing to them. Or maybe you say someone cheated you, whether it's financially or in a romantic relationship, but somehow they have violated you. Maybe it was an underhand deal. In some way, you were cheated, but but maybe your hurt isn't in those categories, but let's say this, insert your hurt here. Because I can go through the room, and ask you, how, how were you hurt? And you can tell me, this hurt me, this person offended me, this thing went wrong, and that's why I'm upset right now. And the question becomes, you know, it's an actual offense, but then there are occasions, if we're completely honest, where the offense is perceived. It's not an actual offense, it's a perceived offense, because there's certain things we all need as we mature. As you grow up, you need a sense of community, you need to feel like you're loved, you need to feel like you belong, you need security. You need relationship, whether it's romantic or friendship. We all grew up with these natural needs that can only come from people around us. You can't develop it within yourself. It has to come from others. So when you lack that, when you don't get the affirmation, when you don't get the affection, when the hugs are withheld, as you grow up, you develop this void that you feel must be filled. And now when you encounter people, they must fill it to the umpteenth degree or you feel as though you've offended me, you've hurt me, But what we need to focus on, whether it's a perceived offense or an actual offense, we should be focusing on how do we deal with the hurt within that happened back then? How do we deal with the hurt that took place in the past and is now hindering our present? And that is what I want to address today. What does the Bible say about handling offenses that you might be harboring, injustices that you're determined to hold on to? I want to read a scripture to you, it's in Luke, Luke, the 17th chapter. The Bible says this things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or your sister sins against you, you rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent. You must forgive. And the apostles said to the Lord, this was Jesus speaking, they said to Jesus, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews tells me without faith it is impossible to please God. So what does faith have to do with forgiveness? It's almost as though God made a mistake. How can he possibly relate my physical and emotional pain with the spiritual principle? God definitely doesn't get it. But isn't that often what we say when we want to hold on to something we know we shouldn't? Well, God can't possibly understand how I feel. And maybe I need to go back to God and discuss with him another method of solving this problem, a better plan, because God can't possibly comprehend this kind of betrayal. But before we go any further and discuss what God says to us about forgiveness, I'd like to remind you of the first act of forgiveness that took place on God's part. And it was way before the cross. It's back in Genesis in the garden. And the Bible tells us God is walking in the garden, cool of the day. And he calls out, Adam, where art thou? The God who knows all things asks a simple question, Adam, where art thou? As many of you may recall, God had given Adam and Eve the run of the garden. You can have everything in here, everything in here, except The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they have violated that trust in that tree. And now God had to come and address them in this matter of broken trust. He gave them everything. He walked with them. He talked with them. And they still violated his trust. He loved on them. And he has to come to them and say, why'd you do it? If you'll notice, God had every right to be unimaginably upset at them. He had every right to want to say, I'm going to kill him." He is God, after all. He could have done it, but instead, he covered them. Now, there were consequences for their actions, but he didn't break relationship with them. He still held them close. God forgave them, and he continues this trend of forgiveness throughout the Bible, but honestly, God continues this trend of forgiveness to this day for each and every one of us. He continues to forgive us. In fact, God commands that we should also forgive. Like He forgives. You know, Peter at one point asks Jesus about this. You know, Peter, wild, cut your ear off, Peter, walking on water, Peter. At one point, he approaches Jesus and he says to Jesus, "Lord, how do my brother sin against me, and I'll forgive him as many as seven times?" Now, in Judaism, to forgive three times was considered generous. So Peter's saying seven, like. Obviously, I'm on top of the world now. I got this, seven times? But listen to Jesus' response to him. Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, those who follow me should stop counting every offense that comes against them. And then he begins to tell him a parable. And he says, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who is going to settle his debts. And he calls in one of the slaves or servants and he says, you owe me 10,000 talents. You got to pay. The servant starts to plead and says, have mercy on me. Be patient with me. He drops weeping, pleading to the king. The king says, uh-uh, sell everything. Sell him, his wife, all the stuff that he pays debt. But the servant is pleading. The king says, you know what? I'll forgive you. I'll forgive this massive debt. Go ahead, be free. I have mercy on you. The same servant goes out and sees another servant who owes him a hundred denarii, which is far less than he owed the king. I mean far less. And he grabs his servant. He starts to choke him, tell him, pay me what you owe me. The other servant says the same thing. Would you be patient with me? He says, no. He had him thrown in prison until he could pay his debt. Now the other servants, they're there like, oh, you see that? I saw that. And they go back to the king and they tell him, Remember that servant, the one you let go? Well, yeah, he found another servant and had him thrown in prison. And the king calls back the first servant. He says this to him. He says, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not, and should not, you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. That last verse is worth repeating. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. Is God really saying, I won't be forgiven unless I forgive? I won't be forgiven unless I forgive. Why is it so important to God? Well, maybe because he sees what it does to you. Look at this the servant who goes out and finds his fellow servant and starts to choke him and say, pay me what you owe me. This is the same servant who was just forgiven. This is the same servant who was just weeping and begging for mercy. And now he sees someone else say, well, I won't forgive you. It seems irrational. But isn't that what we do? Like maybe you don't have your hand around somebody's neck necessarily, but you keep your words from them. You stay silent because they owe you. So you'll cause them some sting with the silence of your words. That won't speak to you. Or maybe you don't have your hand around their neck, but you gossip behind their back. You heard about Jim? Let's pray for Jim. You don't want to pray for Jim. You want to talk about Jim. Or, or maybe you don't, you don't have your hand around their neck, but you exact payment from them by continually beating them up in your mind over and over again not realizing that you're only reliving the event for yourself holding it so close to your face it's all you can possibly see i heard a story once about a older lady who'd wake up every morning and she'd look out her window and she'd see her neighbor putting her her laundry up She'd hanging it up and she'd say you know her laundry's always dirty why is she was hanging up dirty laundry and the next morning she'd get up and look out the window She's doing it again. She's hanging up dirty laundry. And then one day, she got up to clean her window. As she cleaned it, she realized the laundry's not dirty at all. The stain wasn't on the other person's clothes. The stain was on the lenses she was looking through. And a lot of times when you've been hurt, you spend your entire life looking at everybody through stained lenses. Every situation through stained lenses. Every person through stained lenses. And it can be so destructive to friendships, to relationships, to the environment, to yourself. But you think, I'm only mad at this one person. I'm only not forgiving this one situation. That's all it is. But what you don't realize is unforgiveness is like a virus. You know how a virus functions? enters the body. It goes into a cell, uses that cell to replicate itself to get to full strength. Sometimes that same virus will enter a cell, and it'll cause the cell to explode, which is called cell suicide. Unforgiveness is very similar to that. It will infiltrate every area and every situation of your life with one goal and one goal only, to replicate and destroy to replicate itself, and to bring absolute destruction to every situation you're in. And you might be telling yourself, no, 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 that's not the case. It's different for me. But no, it's not. You might say, I'm always angry. You might say, it's just the way I am. But really, you're holding on to something that is leaking into your professional life, your private life, and situations always seem to go away, and you're wondering, what is it? It is the thing that you won't let go of. And truth be told, you really don't want to let go of it. A lot of times we want to hold on to it because if I let go of it, am I not justifying what that person did to me? If I let go of it, and I'm not saying it's okay, isn't that what it means? But No, not at all. Forgiveness doesn't give justice to the wrong, but freedom to the hurt. Because if you don't forgive, you remain trapped. You remain trapped trying to pull along what your dad did to you. Pull along what your mom did to you. Pull along that hurt from Jim or Tom or whoever thing you've put on your life. And you're trying to drag it through life and wondering why you feel so weighed down. I mean, Paul might have said it best when he said, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what's ahead of me. There's a future before you and you're being held back by a hurt you refuse to let go of. And In your heart, you're wondering, what am I supposed to do? Well, who's going to fix this if I don't fix it? You're telling me to let it go, but who is really going to take care of this it if it's not me? And to that, the Bible says this. Romans 12. Repay no, no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Believe it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, we often speak of the second part of that verse. It's everywhere. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But what really caught my attention was verse 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all, with everyone, those you like those you don't like, those who've helped you, those who hurt you. Be at peace with all of them. You should work as hard as you possibly can Do everything in your power to make peace. Send a text, send an email, make a phone call, set up a coffee date. Anything you can do to make it right. I remember when I first came to Christ, I called everyone that I hurt got on the phone and called everybody to apologize. I wasn't the nicest guy, and I hurt some females, and I really, it, it went deep to my heart when I came to Christ. And I picked up the phone, and I called every single person to say, I'm different now. And I tell you this because making peace can be hard. It's not an easy thing to have people yell at you, but, but everything in your power, do it to make peace. Remembering this. By faith, by faith we believe that God has a better plan. By faith we believe and know that the Bible says all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord according to his purpose. God will use everything you've been through. Nothing will be wasted. Would you type that in the chat? Nothing is wasted. Not a single situation will be wasted. Every tear you shed, God saw it. It will not be wasted. If you would allow Him, God will use what you've been through to use you to reach back and grab others who are going through what you're going through. But He cannot do it if you will not come out of it and grow from it. And as we speak about forgiveness, there's one individual that is it's always the hardest to forgive. Like, no matter what you try to do, it's always the toughest to forgive this person. It's you. It seems like often we give people a pass, but when it comes to us, ourselves, we want to keep ourselves in this state of condemnation. But I want to tell you this. God is over it. God is far past that situation. He loves you. He made you uniquely. There will never be someone as good at being you as you, so you've got to learn to love you. You can't love your neighbor like yourself unless you learn to love you. You've got to forgive you for whatever that situation was, whatever that thing is that's held you back. God's over it. In fact, he says this in Hebrews. He says, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I'll remember their sins no more. God wants to put it behind him, and he will. Just bring it to him. So got to repent. God won't let this go. And got to walk right past it. He'll say, he says, I'll see it no more. So as you forgive others. I want to encourage you. You've got to forgive yourself. You've got to free yourself. You know, as I prepared this message, what really kind of sparked it in my heart was the Apostle Paul. You know Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. The scholar Paul. Well, Paul, in writing his letters, he wrote four personal letters. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And it didn't surprise you necessarily he wrote four personal letters. You know, he's writing a bunch of letters. What surprised me was one of those letters was specifically dedicated to forgiveness. Paul writes a letter about forgiveness, and he puts it in the hand of the one who needs forgiveness, he asked him to deliver it. And, and how interesting is that, that God writes this entire book about forgiveness and he puts it in the hands of all those who need forgiveness themselves. The book, the book or the letter I'm referring to is Philemon. Now Philemon is a, he's a well-off leader in the church of Colossae. And uh, he's a slave owner. And, and, and be honest, slavery then was not Western slavery at all. Everyone in Rome their slaves were everywhere. There are probably more slaves than those who were free at the time. And Onesimus is the slave that had run away from Philemon. And he stole something on his way out. We don't know what it is, but we know he stole something as he left. And he runs to Rome to escape. He says, I'll blend in. So many slaves here. No one will find me. But he runs into Paul, who happens to be in prison in Rome. And Paul learns his story. And Paul knows Philemon. So as Onesimus is talking to him, Paul knows where, that you've run away from my friend Philemon. And though Onesimus is very helpful to Paul, Paul says, you've got to go back. Onesimus gets saved, lies with Paul, and he returns back to Philemon. And he brings his letter and presents it to him. And uh, you know, Philemon had every right to be upset. He had every right to get even. He had every right to exact payment. But instead, Paul writes and says, would you have grace? And he begins the letter like this. He begins the letter by telling Philemon, you know, I acknowledge that you love God's people, you have love for God, that you've been a partner to me in this. But then he dives in and says, you know, I could order you to do this. He I could order you to do this in regards to forgiveness. But he says, I'd rather request you do it out of love. At this point, Philemon's just reading the letter. I'm sure he's not quite aware of where Paul's going with this yet. But it's interesting that Paul says, I'd rather you do what I love. Because it reminds me of what Christ says to us. If you love me, you'd keep my commandments. If you love me, you'd let it go. If you love me, you'd seek peace. If you truly love me, you'd forgive Paul goes on in the letter. He says, uh, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who came, became my son while I was in chains. In other words, he came to me while I was in prison, and he became my son, because Paul brought, led him to Christ. Now, you read that, and you think, no big deal. But you have to think of the situation Philemon is in. This guy hurt me. This guy stole from me. He's standing before me, and I'm reading this letter from my friend Paul, and now Paul says, hey, this is my son. Your son? How can he be your son, Paul? I'm your friend. He hurt me. How can he be your son? But how often is that us? Where Christ says to you, that guy you hate, that girl you hate, that's my son. That's my daughter. And you're saying, well, how do you see what they did to me? And God steps between the two of you and says, my grace is sufficient. And Paul writes this letter in the same manner, saying, I request grace over the grudge that you're holding right now. He goes on to say, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul is suggesting that maybe, as the Bible says, God worked this off for the good. Because when he left you, he wasn't saved, but now I'm sending, you back, sending him back to you as saved. In fact, some commentators believe that when Paul says, have him back, the original language doesn't mean just have him back, forgiving him. It means have him back in the sense of receive him into your family. Not just Forgive the debt, forgive him, but receive him as your actual brother, as if he was blood. And maybe that's the degree of forgiveness God would have us show others. That we receive the offender as if they're a family, because a lot of times they are. And as he wraps up his letter, Paul says this So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. He paints this perfect picture of salvation and forgiveness where he says, if he's done anything, committed any harm, done any wrong to you, put it on me. If he owes you any debt, put it on me. I want you to see him as you would see me. But isn't that what Jesus did for us? Then he said, whatever sin they committed, whatever sin they will commit later, whatever they're going to do, put it on me so that you, Heavenly Father, can see them as you see me, so that they may be forgiven for all they've done. And the interesting thing about the story is it just ends. There's no real ending to tell you what happened between Philemon and Onesimus. But history speaks of an Onesimus who became the bishop at Ephesus. And many believe that it's the same Onesimus who went from being a slave to a brother to the bishop, but it all started with somebody saying, I forgive you. And that's my challenge to you today. Can you take the steps to begin forgiving others as you yourself has oft, have also been forgiven? Because the truth is, according to the word, if you do not, you'll be held to the same standard when it's time for you to be forgiven. There are five steps to forgiveness. And I want you to write these down. And you need to remember this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. I know how you feel. You're angry. I know how you feel. You're resentful. I know how you feel. You're hurt. Forgiveness has nothing to do with how you feel. It's what you decide to do next that makes all the difference. The first step And forgiveness is this, acknowledgement. Acknowledge that you're hurt. It's okay that you're hurt. Be real about yourself to bury it over and over again, push it deeper and deeper down and pretend like it never happened. It does not solve the problem. It just causes it to spread throughout your life in other ways. Acknowledge this thing hurt me. And then do this. Step two, let go. Let go of your right to get even and see how freeing that is. Let go of your right to exact payment and see how freeing it is. Let go of the desire that I will show you and see how freeing it is. Just let go. Number three is pray. Develop a new daily routine of praying for the person. It's very hard to stay upset at someone who you pray for every day because at some point you cross that threshold from I'm so mad at you to I have so much grace for you. And all of a sudden now when you think of them, you don't start to fume and steam. You feel bad for them and you want to pray more for them. Make it a daily routine where you say, I'm going to pray for this person. Number four is stop. Stop rehearsing it. Stop talking about it with other people. Stop talking about it to yourself because every time you do that, you relive the incident over and over again in your mind and your heart and it can be very destructive. So just stop. And number five is this. Remember. Remember, forgiven people forgive people. You know, I heard a, a saying in Spanish. It's, mi perdón S2 perdon. It means my forgiveness is your forgiveness. And I decided that's going to be my life. I decided I'm going to live by that phrase, my forgiveness is your forgiveness. Because I don't want to carry around weight that I don't have to, burdens that I'm not required to, stresses that are ruining relationships and situations in my life. So my forgiveness. It's going to be your forgiveness all the time. And I want to encourage you. Would you make that your life model as well? Let go of what's been done to you and lay, lay hold of what God has before you. Would you take a minute and just bring to your remembrance one last time that situation that you're letting fester deep below, that issue that you're letting just eat you alive, would you bring that to your remembrance? I want to pray for you. That today would be the last day that this thing would hinder you any longer. Just take a second. Think about it. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.